last Sunday, Kelly introduced us to a tradition that we're going to begin practicing at Lamb called Rogation Days. Uh, actually, last night, Travis mentioned that s- several of us were at Matthew and Holly Butler's wedding. Um, that not, they weren't able to invite everyone um, because of just the, the time we're living in, but several of us were able to be there, and uh, someone said something to me about today, and they s- mistakenly called it Rogaine Days. <laughs> And that's something a little different, though, actually, you might pray for things to grow, just like you do during rogation. So, rogation days are set-aside days of praying, asking God for His blessing, especially in the fields of agriculture and industry. So, as Kelly shared last week, it developed in the 400s because of a blight on crops that was endangering people's lives. So a bishop set aside several days for people to fast and pray. They would walk their fields and ask God to give them a successful harvest. So this is the meaning of the word roguer, to ask. And it's why one of our passages is John chapter 15 that I just read for us. So if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you, you might think we're using that passage because it has the main word of our mission as a church in it, uh, abide. Uh, but actually, it's a, this is the passage that was set aside for this Sunday because Jesus in the passage speaks of asking the Father for anything in His name. Now, I know that a lot of us are coming from traditions that don't have much of a church calendar to begin with, outside of Christmas and Easter, maybe Good Friday. Anglicanism is already an adjustment because we don't even know, a lot of us don't know what that word means when we're coming into this tradition. And then there are these strange seasons like Advent and Lent, which are not words used in the Bible. And Here, we're talking about another odd word to add to our traditions. Honestly, if if you'd asked me five, six, seven years ago if if I thought I would ever preach on Rogation Sunday, I would have asked you what that meant and said, probably not. I can't imagine myself doing it. Why are we doing this? Well, here's the short answer. Whoever gets to shape your calendar gets to shape your life. Whoever gets to shape your calendar gets to shape your life. So you might say, no one shapes my calendar except me. And I'd say, yep, you're exactly right. (laughs) And I'd ask you, what are the things that you look forward to the most every year? And those are the things that are shaping your life. God's people have always known that their calendar isn't neutral. As soon as they come out of Egypt, God gives them dates to put on their new calendar And gradually, the story of redemption comes to shape all of their time from week to week in the Sabbath, month to month through feast days and fasts. Imagine Israelites with their own Google calendar and the things that would come up every month and for the year. They would have had special days, even weeks, all through the year for them and their families to remember the things that God had done. And these were events that everyone loved to participate in. Adults and children alike found joy in the communal celebration that took place when they gathered. So early Christians found ways of doing this very same thing. Celebrating the major movements in the life of Christ. Not only His birth, death, and resurrection, but His ascension, which is coming this Thursday. And His sending of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. 
So a calendar is not meant as just another trapping for religion, a form of legalism or dead tradition. It's a way of shaping all of our lives to be lived before God and in His presence. So even rogation days help us connect with the life of God Himself in Jesus Christ. How so? (laughs) First of all, something they do, is they help us remember God as the Creator. God as the Creator. You know, Christians have long said that God gave His people two books to study. One is the book of Scripture, and the other is the book of creation. And that both of these books should be studied closely, and then they should inform one another. This is why the church for a long time sponsored the sciences and was on the leading edge of this field. In fact, the first people to go study the creation were usually Christians because they believed that there would be some order behind it. Now, the church has not always responded well when they didn't like what their scientists said. We need to acknowledge this. In fact, the church was downright wrong in how they responded. But at its best, the church has recognized the value of this work and that it is a work of faith. So I I sincerely hope that at Church of the Lamb, what we're calling our Abbey, a place for faith and work to be integrated, can be a way we encourage Christian faith and the sciences to be brought together. So the examples of the Abbey that we've given... Uh, One being Alec, a science teacher um, and a farmer who's going to help our church think about how to work with animals. Uh, Jed Pascarella, wow, sorry, (laughs) it's a bit distracting, isn't it? Um, Jed's worked with the Department of Environmental Quality and he's going to help us with managing our section of the stream, Cub Run. Uh, Also counselors working in the field of mental health. All of these, think about it, they involve science and faith and bringing these together. I hope that at Church of the Lamb, in the years to come, we have youth and children who grow up to work in the sciences, wrestling with how their faith is to be carried out in their work, and how their work can actually enhance their faith. Now the psalm that Stephanie led us in a few minutes ago said, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And this is an assumption of Christian faith, that if we look out into the creation, if we study it closely, we will see the abundance of God's love. And the psalm goes on to describe how this happens through the way that God has created everything to the way that the creation is organized with seas having their boundaries, their storehouses, as the psalm describes it. You know, it it seems to me that in our era of life, the Christian faith, as it's being tested and questioned more and more by by the world and by some of us even, the question of why God allows evil has come to dominate the perspective of a lot of us, non Christians and Christians alike. And this has happened to the point that we more easily gravitate toward the problems in the creation. Natural disasters, sickness and disease and so on. But what happens is we easily overlook the wonder of the creation. 
We forget to ask why the creation is orderly at all and why it is beautiful at all. G.K. Chesterton was a Catholic author and he was so good at turning problems on their head. He said that everyone asks about the problem of evil, why there are bad things that happen in the world. But no one asks about the problem of good. Why is there that there is anything good at all? And this is what can happen to us with the creation. We hear of catastrophic things that happen in the world that are awful and that should be grieved. Pandemics, tsunamis that destroy communities. But we can focus on those things to the extent that we forget to look at the wonder of the creation. Why is it that we can plant seeds and grow plants that feed our families and our friends? Why is it that animals reproduce the way they do and provide food that we need? The intricacies in the working of creation are more fascinating actually than its brokenness. And its brokenness only points us back to the good purposes for which it was made. The brokennesses are not normative. We see them as something that are outside of the norm of the way things are meant to be. God is a wonderful creator. His creation is beyond our imagination. Katie and I yesterday were were giddy because we have not grown up in places where you can see Orioles. And we're at the house, and all of a sudden we begin seeing these flashes of bright orange behind the house in the trees and close to the creek. And then Katie later on was sitting down on the, um, the, the uh, porch, and one landed as close to her as it could land and just sat for several minutes. And she could hear its song and see all of its colors. We're trying to turn the kids into the biggest nerds that we can. And they were genuinely excited. One of them, I'm holding the binoculars and he starts trying to take them away from me and I'm saying, no, I need them. God is beautiful in all that he has made and he's made it for our delight. Unfortunately, broken human beings that we are, we need days set aside to help us remember this. And rogation days can help us in this way. So they help us remember God as creator, but they also help us remember God as our redeemer. So through Jesus, God redeems his broken creation and he starts with his image bearers, human beings. Apart from God, it is like we as human beings live in a closed circle. We repeat our same sins, our same mistakes. But God invites us through Jesus to come to him to be forgiven, and to be restored. And he gives us a new purpose. I appointed you, Jesus says, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The work of redemption in our lives is meant to grow like a vine into the non-human creation. The creation was subjected to futility, Paul says, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So God works His redemption in our lives so that it then spreads into the rest of the creation, into the things that we touch, the ground that we work, the houses that we build. 
the work that we are called to do in the world. One of our prayers in the Anglican Church says that God wonderfully created, yet more wonderfully restored. So God does this work of redemption in us. And then it spreads into the creation. So rogation days, they help us remember God as creator and as redeemer. And they help us in this remember our role in the world as co-workers with God. So God calls his people to be co-workers with him in prayer. Part of rogation days is praying the Lord's prayer that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the fruitfulness of heaven would come into earth, that it would bear fruit in the ground. So actually, there's this wonderful story that Kelly shared around a couple of weeks ago with a few of us. It's a video about the Orthodox Ethiopian church. So in sections of Ethiopia, the whole, all the forests have been ravaged so that they can have more land for agriculture and farming. But part of the problem with this is if you, they have these shots, these aerial photos, where the ground is completely bleak. They don't realize that in destroying all of the trees, they're actually hurting the whole, whole ecosystem. But the church, part of its belief in Ethiopia is that the church should have an area that it constructs that is like Eden. And so, as you see these aerial photos, the land is bleak, but then you'll have these patches where it is these fruitful forests. You should look this up on YouTube because the, one, the person narrating it is a forest ecologist who grew up in the churches there and is describing the ways that the church has preserved and blessed the land by not allowing their forests to be cut down. How they've created these incredible ecosystems that are like lights shining throughout the country. So the church becomes co-workers with God, one in, in prayer by asking that his will would be done on earth as, as in heaven, but then that prayer overflows into a kind of generosity in our work and in our labors. So Psalm 33 that Stephanie read again says that the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Notice that end, that he would keep them alive in famine. Now we can read this, and then we can look around the world where people are hungry, and we can wonder whether God is doing his job. Or, we can do what the disciples did in the book of Acts, and say that God has called us to be a part of his work. So the disciples in the book of Acts learn from prophets that there's going to be a famine in the land of Jerusalem. And they don't respond by asking whether God is being faithful, whether God is doing his job. Instead, it says that each of them gave according to their need and they sent help to the church in Jerusalem. So Rogation Days are helping us remember that we are becoming co-workers with God in His work of redemption in the world. That He has enabled us to do His work with Him, to come alongside Him, and to be generous toward those around us.
So, it might be an odd word to you. It might, might be an odd thing to think about uh, preaching about. But rogation days actually are a, full, a picture of the wholeness of God's kingdom. God has created us and He's created the world so that we can enjoy it, delight in it, and so that we can bear fruit as His creatures. And seeing the world in this way actually allows us to hold our faith and our work together as human beings. Our bodies and our souls. This is a picture of the good news of Jesus. That He came and He died, not just so that we can escape the world, but so that the whole world can be redeemed. So that we can be redeemed and the land that we live in. And so, as we think about this, we're actually learning what it means to be true disciples, to be true image bearers of God. And we're learning what it means to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.